My name is Caleb Gabrelli, and I'm an associate pastor here at the church um, in the area of global advancement and community care. And uh, today has been um, one of the more difficult messages that I've ever prepared for. Um, while I used to speak on a weekly basis in our junior high ministry, um, man, I don't know if I've just gotten out of practice or um, if I just prefer to be somewhere internationally sitting under a mango tree and just sharing a simple story from the Bible with someone I don't speak the same language as. Um, but I have the utmost respect for uh, pastors that speak weekly because seven days from this moment, you, you got to be prepared to speak again. And so I have been in constant prayer um, for Kevin Crow and for Wade Bryant, who speak weekly to our students in this church. And I have so much respect for the ability that God has given our lead pastor, Mike McDaniel, who does this every single week. But my mind for today has been just full of voices in my head telling me, hey, this is what you should speak on. Hey, you should preach on this. Hey, you should preach on this. And honestly, I'm just trying to be obedient to what God is teaching me and leading me to share with this church. And I think it's crazy that several weeks back, Mike is speaking on being in the valley from Psalm 23. And his wife, Lori, spoke last week about being in the pit. And God led me to a story in scripture that kind of aligns with all of that. And so my hope is that um, you will hear God speak to you this morning through this story. You guys have all seen social media posts or uh, maybe you have, have written your significant other a little message that says something along the lines of, hey, I know we've been through our ups and downs, but you've always been there with me. That's so cheesy. I've never done that. Just kidding. But that, that, that is really cheesy. But we do that. And we say things like, hey, you've been through thick and thin. And especially being familiar with the junior high minister, you see it posted a lot. But we've all done that. Life is often described and relationships are often described as roller coasters, just jam-packed full of highs and lows, high speeds and slowdowns and twists and turns. You get the point. But the reality of a roller coaster is that, man, when you reach the top, you're going down. And, and most of the time at a high rate of speed. And while it's fun and entertaining and an adrenaline rush on a roller coaster in life, it doesn't feel that great. I want you guys to think of a mountaintop experience that you've had. I'm going to call it a mountaintop experience, a significant moment in your life, maybe when you thought, man, life can't get any better, or man, this is just huge, this is awesome. Take your mind back to a place of mountaintop experiences. And so maybe for you, that's when you graduated college. Maybe for some of you, it's when you landed that big job, or maybe you got a promotion. Maybe for you, it was when you were matched for an adoption. Or maybe some of you, you finally retired after years of hard work and striving for success in this world. Ladies, for you, maybe it was your wedding day. And guys, maybe for you, it was the honeymoon experience. I don't know what your mountaintop experience was. Maybe your family bought a new house. Maybe you, you did um, an addition or a remodel or you invested in a piece of property or you built a swimming pool. Maybe it was when you found out you were expecting for the very first time or the second time or the third time, or the fourth, or the 19th. There's a ton of examples that I could use, but I want you to take your mind back to mountaintop experience that you've had in your life. And when you really stop to take your mind back to that moment, you might realize that after whatever experience you had faded away, 
You found yourself at a low point in life. Maybe depression, despair, maybe just confusion, some type of questioning. For some of you, after you graduated college, you couldn't even find a job. For others, the new job or promotion that you got didn't turn out to be what you had in mind at all. And now you're at a place where you'd work so hard to get there and you're going home to your spouse and you're saying, I think I'm leaving. What? You just, you just got that promotion. Maybe your marriage didn't turn out to be what you had expected and that honeymoon experience faded away really fast. Maybe the new house or the project that you finished just turned out to be just this financial burden. Maybe your adoption fell through. Maybe retirement is boring now that you're finally there and you're lonely after years of hard work. Maybe after finding out that you're expecting a miscarriage just turns your world upside down. There's really only one question that I ask after an experience like this, and for me, it's how did I get here? Man, Caleb, how did I get here? This morning, I want to journey through a familiar story for some of you, and for others, you're hearing this for the very first time. But I can tell you, no matter how many times I read this story in the Old Testament, God reveals something new to me every single time. And so my prayer for you this morning is that God speaks something to you through the story of Elijah. I'm not going to frame it in and say, hey, I hope you walk away with these four points. I hope you walk away with this. I just hope you walk away going, man, this part resonates with me. Because there are so many different angles to teach on Elijah and I'm just going to kind of approach it from one angle this morning and one morning. So turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you'll follow along with me, I'm going to work kind of as quickly as I can through two whole chapters, 17 and 18, because there is a huge momentum shift that comes from several significant events in these chapters to a low, dark state of depression caused by nothing more than a threat in chapter 19. So before we get started, let me give you some backstory to 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings starts with King Solomon, and it ends with Elijah. Now, King Solomon was born after a palace scandal between his father David and this woman named Bathsheba. And like his dad, David, Solomon has a weakness for women that ultimately would bring him down. And Solomon did so well at first praying for wisdom and building a temple to God that took him seven years. But then he spends 13 years building a palace for himself. And his accumulation of stuff and many wives leads him to worship idols and leads him further away from God. And after Solomon dies, the nation of Israel is led by a series of kings, most of whom are idolatrous and evil, and the, and the nation of Israel just continues further and further away from the one true God. We'll pick up the story in chapter 17 where we have King Ahab in position who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And he marries a wicked woman named Jezebel. Now you've got to know that Jezebel grew up just steeped in the worship of false idols, specifically the false god Baal and Baal's um, female partner Asherah. And Baal was considered to be the god of land. He owned it, they said. He was responsible um, for the increase of crops and cattle. And Asherah was supposedly this goddess of fertility. So here's King Ahab who did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than in all the kings of Israel before him. 
And to make things worse, he marries Queen Jezebel. A man by the name of Elijah enters the story in the beginning of chapter 17. He's a godly man. He's a prophet of the Lord. And Elijah's name actually means the Lord is my God. And he approaches King Ahab and he says, there won't be any rain, even any dew in the land for the next few years except at my word. That's a bold statement to prophesy before the king of a nation. You have to understand the utmost importance of rain to understand the repercussions of saying, hey, guess what? There's not going to be any more rain or dew for the next few years. We're talking famine. No water for the people to drink. The brooks and the streams, the, the creeks, they all begin to dry up. There's no water to grow the crops, which means the people have no food. The animals have no food. Well, if the animals have no food, the animals have no water. Use your imagination. Three years of a drought, what that might look like. So God speaks to Elijah and says, you need to go to this Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, where you will drink water from a brook, and I'm going to provide for you by ravens, the, the, the birds, ravens. And so Elijah listens to God. He goes to this ravine where ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening every single day. How ironic that a bird that is a meat eater God is using to provide for his prophet meat and bread twice a day in the midst of a drought. That's the God that we serve. Time passes and the brook dries up, so Elijah doesn't have any more drinking water. God tells him to go to this town where I want you to stay with a widow I've commanded to supply you with food. And so Elijah travels and journeys to this town. He finds this widow who's basically down to her very last meal for herself and her son. That's how poor she is. That's how much famine had been going on. She's out of flour. She's out of oil. She's down to her last. And Elijah says, don't be afraid, but make me a small cake of bread and then go and prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And Elijah assures her of what the Lord had said. Your jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And so she does just as Elijah instructed her. And there was food every single day for all of them. That's the God that we serve. More time passes and the widow's son gets sick and he dies. And Elijah says, bring me your son. And he takes him and he takes him to the upper room where he cries out to God. Oh, God, let this boy's life return to him. God, let this boy's life return to him. God, allow this boy's life to return to him. And God honors Elijah's prayers and the boy's life returns to him. And Elijah presents him to the widow. And scripture says that now the woman knows that Elijah is a man of God and he speaks truth from the Lord. That's the God that we serve. Three years into this drought, God tells Elijah, go and present yourself to the king. I'm, I'm going to bring rain to the land. Now understand at this point in the story, the famine is severe. The land has been bone dry. The people are miserable. I imagine people are dying. Cattle are dying. Crops are dried up. King Ahab had taken a good man by the name of Obadiah and had placed him in charge of his palace. And so the two of them, Ahab and Obadiah, they're out searching throughout the land just to find grass or something to bring back to the animals to keep them alive. And Obadiah, he kind of has this secret side gig going on where he had taken a hundred of the Lord's prophets and hidden them in caves. And he's supplying them with food and water because in the meantime, Queen Jezebel is out murdering 
all the prophets of the Lord that she could possibly find. She's hunting them down. So one day, Ahab and Obadiah, they're out looking for food for the animals. They're, they're separate from one another. And Obadiah bumps into Elijah. And he can't hardly believe it's him. And Elijah says, hey, go and get the king. We've got business to settle. Kind of Caleb Gabrelli's paraphrased version here. And Obadiah's like, hold on a minute. Listen, just FYI, you're on the king's hit list here. If I go to King Ahab and say, hey, guess who I found? And I bring him back to this place and you're not here? He's going to kill me. Verse 15, Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives who I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. And so these guys meet face to face, Ahab and Elijah. And you've got to know the emotion that King Ahab must have because the last time that he had seen Elijah, Elijah said, hey man, there's not going to be rain or dew at the next few years. And then all the turmoil that comes from this drought and this famine, you've got to know that Ahab just wants to murder this guy. And Ahab looks at Elijah and says, is that really you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, what? I didn't, I didn't cause this, not me. Uh-uh, you and your family abandoned the Lord's commands and you've been following the Baals. Get people from all over Israel, gather them together and meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal, bring the 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 prophets surrounded by all the rest of the people in the nation. Bring them to Mount Carmel. So King Ahab listens and he gathers everyone together. And Elijah boldly goes before all the people and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. No response. So Elijah says, this is what we're going to do. Speaking to the prophets, you get, you get two bulls. You select two bulls. You choose one for yourself. I'll, I'll take the other one, whatever one you don't want. Cut it up into pieces. Prepare the wood. Put the meat on it, but don't light it yet. In other words, prepare an altar, but don't set fire to it. And I will take the bowl that you chose for me, and I'll prepare my altar, and I won't light it yet. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So this is what they do. And the prophets, all 850 of them, they begin crying out from morning until noon. For hours they are shouting to their gods so that their fire could be lit. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves with swords and spears, offering their own flesh and blood to these gods. I can't, I, I can't imagine it must have looked like some type of demonic celebration. 850 people dancing around this altar. And Elijah begins mocking them. You know, one versus 850. You know, he's got plenty behind his back, right? He's got God. So Elijah's saying, listen, shout louder. Shout louder. Maybe your gods are sleeping. Hey, keep, keep on shouting and dancing. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they're deep in thought. And he's making fun of them. And when he had had enough, he gets the people's attention and he prepares his altar. And he takes his bull and he takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. And he arranges the wood and he digs a trench around the entire thing. And he says, you know what? Cover it with water. Man, you're supposed to light this thing. Cover it with water. And so they cover it with water. 
He says, you know what? Do it a second time. And so they cover it with water a second time. You know what? Do it a third time. They cover it with water a third time till I can only imagine that this thing must look like a pile of rocks with some wood on it. The meat just must be dripping. And there's like a moat around this thing as water is overflowing the trench that he dug. Elijah steps forward and he prays, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Immediately, fire falls down from heaven and burns up the rocks, the wood, the soaking wet meat, all of the water that is in the trench. And it didn't take hours of Elijah pleading before God's. Elijah said, God, answer me. And the fire burned up everything. That's the God that we serve. All the people that are gathered, they, they, they fall down face first before the Lord and they're crying out to God. And Elijah commands that the prophets be captured and take them over here, and they, they slaughter every one of them. And then after over three years, the rain begins. And King Ahab hops in his chariot and rides all the way to this place called Jezreel. And we read in verse 26 that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he outruns King Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. That's the God that we serve. Now we're going to take this big shift in this story. Starting in chapter 19, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel, like he's tattling to his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Speaking of the prophets that Elijah had slaughtered. She just puts a 24-hour death threat on Elijah's life. You're dead by this time tomorrow. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What? Are you kidding me? Elijah, for years you experienced God in ways unimaginable. And now with the threat of a queen, you're afraid and you're running away? I want to talk for just a few minutes about the vulnerability of the church. Who is the church? You are the church. I'm the church. We are the church. If you are a believer and a follower of Christ, then you are his church and we're vulnerable. And if you're taking notes this morning, one of the reasons that I see in Elijah's story that I think we become vulnerable is because we don't rest. There's a lack of rest. And you can look at the spiritual journey that Elijah has been on where he has had to trust God and have faith and go prophesy before a king. Long journey. Trust God. Have faith. Be provided for by ravens. Trust God. Long journey. Trust God. Go stay with the widow. Have faith. Long journey. Trust God. Battle. Long kingdom. Trust God. Battle. It's this, it's this exhausting journey that he's on. And I, I know how it feels. This is me oftentimes in my life, whatever season that I'm in. And I think some of you know how he feels as well. Some of you work 80-hour work weeks, and that's normal for you. In addition to that, you're traveling. You don't have time to stop and rest, let alone spend time with the family. 
Some of you moms, this includes my wife, you're busy changing dirty diapers, you're hauling the kids all over town, you're getting them to sports, practices, wins the games, who's bringing the snacks this week, little Billy, little Susie, you know, it's their birthday, little Billy, little Susie, have birthday parties to go to, some of you are managing the budget, and some of you moms, on top of all of that, are working part-time or full-time, and we wonder why we become vulnerable, because we don't rest well. And so Elijah is afraid, and he runs for his life in verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Another reason why I think we become vulnerable that we see in his story, we isolate ourselves from other people. We, we do. Elijah left his servant behind while he himself traveled out into the desert. And while there are appropriate times to get alone and rest, even Jesus demonstrates this as he got alone before the Father and spent time in prayer. Those are, there are appropriate times for that, but I can tell you that I am the absolute worst Whenever I'm overwhelmed and I'm tired, I put up walls in between myself and my family. I put up walls between myself and my friends. I don't know why we do it. We just do that whenever we're tired and we're overwhelmed. And we wonder why we're vulnerable. From Elijah's story, I've learned two more reasons why I think we become vulnerable. The third reason, we lose faith. You know what I have finally learned after so many years of making assumptions? Is that things are seldom what they seem. Very seldom, we should never simply walk by sight as things appear to us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we live by faith, not by sight. Paul also writes that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is just temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm reminded of 12 men that Moses sent to explore the land of Canaan. And if I remember that correctly, Caleb and Joshua didn't get caught up in the same fear and concerns as all the other men. In fact, when everyone else was buckling under the fear of the powerful people that they had seen within these large fortified cities, Caleb silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of this land. He didn't lose faith. Elijah suddenly loses faith, and we begin to see this self-pity coming out as he's just lying in the desert saying, God, take my life. When we don't rest, and when we isolate ourselves, and when we lose faith, we become vulnerable. And then finally, we turn our focus to ourselves. We begin to look inward. This huge momentum shift comes in the very first part of chapter 19 when the enemy threatens Elijah and he stops long enough to consider the threat to his life, his, his temporary life. Oh my gosh, she's going to kill me. Dude, what were you thinking when you went before a king? You, you, you were mocking 850 prophets. You were provided for by birds. You ate bread and meat twice a day in the midst of a drought. You brought a boy back to life. You saw fire fall from heaven. You had the power of the Lord come upon you in a way that you outran a chariot over a distance of about 16 miles. But his focus shifted. 
In the New Testament, we see the story of Jesus walking on water. And, and Peter, one of the men in the boat that Jesus was walking near, he, he says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. You know the story Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on water. But when he stops long enough to consider what's reality to him, and he sees the, the wind and the waves, man, he gets scared, and he begins to sink. And Peter's focus shifted from this faithful gazing upon Jesus and turns inward into this battle of his reality versus God's ability. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know what's so powerful in this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus is that we cannot remain occupied with God and our problems at the same time. You're going to be aware of your problems, but your focus is on the Lord. And when you break down, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, or the ESV version says, looking to Jesus. When you break down Hebrews 12 too, in the original Greek text, the basic meaning is to look away from and unto Jesus. It's just like what we tell Muslims in West Africa when they're asking questions about Jesus. And they're curious if they can keep all of their fetishes and their idols and their ancestry worship and have Jesus over here. When we say, man, you can't physically walk on two paths at the same time. It's not possible. You cannot worship, truly worship two things at the same time. It's the same idea that you cannot be looking at or focusing on more than one thing at the same time with all your heart. Looking to Jesus, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Church, when we focus our expectations in ourselves and we make the results what we want the source of happiness, security, and significance to be, we end up vulnerable, fearful, ready to run away, engulfed in feelings of failure and depression, fear, frustration, question. Just a side note. King Ahab, he had two sons. One's name was Ahaziah, which means the Lord grasps. And his other son's name was Joram, which means the Lord is exalted. And so God pointed this out, and I'm like, what, what, okay. And I began to wonder, maybe King Ahab, maybe his intent wasn't to replace worship of God. Maybe he just wanted these other things in addition. He wanted to, to please his wife with idol worship. He wanted all the people in Israel to have options to choose from. And I began asking myself the question, what am I hanging on to in my life that I don't intend to use as a replacement of God, but just as an addition? And ultimately, that's an idol. We become vulnerable when we don't rest, when we isolate ourselves, when we lose faith, and when we turn our focus inward to ourselves. Let's keep going. God sends an angel to Elijah in verse 5. The angel of the Lord says, get up and eat. Elijah looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Pause for just, just a moment. 
really, we don't just need to, to rest. We need to eat well, too. This, this, this is a perfect example of eating healthy foods that nourish us and provide us strength and energy for everyday life. Let's keep going. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah again responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. It has been very easy for me to look at the story of Elijah and go, unbelievable. If I ever experienced God in ways as big as he did, I would never buckle under the mere threat of the enemy. And now suddenly this guy, he's found himself in a place of disappointment and despair, depression. He's suicidal. And then God began reminding me of my story. Hey, Caleb, think of all your mountaintop experiences and what you did following each of those. Remember when you got that one job and life just couldn't be any better, but when you found out it wasn't exactly what you had in mind, you became so discouraged to the point where you didn't even want to get out of bed when it was time to go to work. Hey, Caleb, remember when you got married and how the first two years of your marriage nearly ended in a divorce? Hey, Caleb, remember that house that you built? And then you built another one, and then you built another one. And I provided resources and people to help you and allow you to build your house without a penny of debt. But you remember how your heart again felt empty because you were looking for your joy and your contentment through stuff? Remember when your wife got pregnant with your third child and you were so proud and faithful, but then she miscarried and you wanted to crawl in a hole and just die? You remember when you said, I've never experienced God answer prayer in a powerful way. And I allowed you in West Africa to firsthand witness me completely restoring a boy's back to life, a boy's life back to him that was sick when you prayed over him within hours. And I let you be a part of that. God reminds me that even though we grow to see him and find him and hear him in these big mountaintop experiences in our lives, the truth is that when we're broken and we're hurting, we find him because we stop to listen. I'm here for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am enough for you. I gave my son for you. One more thing, and, and I'm finished. 
whenever my children lose something that is so important to them, and they're overreacting, and and they're saying, man, dad, I'm never going to find it again. It's gone. I can't find it. It, It's out of here. You know what I do as a parent? And you, you know what you guys do as parents? This is what my parents did. We all do it. Let's, let's retrace your steps. And I'll bet we'll find it. Twice God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And, and God doesn't need information. God is, is using this as a rebuke and, and likely trying to get Elijah to hear himself as he's vocalizing the current situation that he's in. And God finally says, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came, and God gives him something to do which would likely restore his faithfulness back to him and ultimately get him back to living a life that brings glory to God. Go and do what prophets do, Elijah. Go and anoint this guy as king. Go and anoint this guy over here. Go talk with this guy. Oh, and by the way, I have 7,000 prophets that I have reserved that are over here. Go do what I've gifted you to do for my glory, because I'm not finished with you yet. Are you gifted to serve? Then go serve. Are you gifted to be a mom? Then go be a mom. Get back to parenting well and loving your husband well. Guys, are you married? Then lead your family well and and raise your children in the way they should go. Are, Are you in business? Are you in sales? Are you a vendor? Then go do what business people do and bring glory to God. And God says, I'm gonna be with you. I find comfort in the story of a man on a roller coaster journey in life because that is often my experience in life. And God reminds me that he is God and that he has provided a savior for me in Jesus Christ. And even when I am proud and confident and only because, man, life is good and and God, you're good and everything's incredible. And even whenever I mess up and I'm afraid and I'm suddenly depressed because things didn't turn out the way that I thought that they would, I can know that I'm simply a sinner in need of a savior. And I can thank God that Jesus went to the cross for my life. And that is the God that we serve.